0: Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. June 5th, 1944, Nazi Germany had overtaken Europe. Poland had fallen. France followed suit, Britain's freedom was hanging by a thread, and what happened over the next 36 hours would determine the fate, not just of Britain, but of all of Europe and the Western world. At 9.30 p.m., the 101st Airborne, known as the tip of the spear, took off from Britain to be the first paratroopers on the ground in Normandy as part of the largest invasion in history. We know it as D-Day. Amongst the 101st Airborne were two paratroopers, Robert Wright and Kenneth Moore were two medics. Like most paratroopers, they were misdropped. Like most medics, they lost the bulk of their gear, only landing with what was on their belts with them. They found themselves when they landed on the ground in the town of Angleville, France, not a strategic foothold, but very quickly, Germans found Americans, Americans found Germans, and fighting broke out. One of the medics later said, there's no substitute for hearing a bullet go by your ear for the first time. Robert Wright very quickly stumbled onto a 900-year-old church building. It was a small one-room church just lined with a very small number of pews. But when he entered it, he realized this would be the perfect aid station for what we're about to encounter. So he took the Red Cross flag out of his gear. He hung it on the door as a signal to troops on both sides of of the war. This is an aid station. Moore, meanwhile, found a wheelbarrow and proceeded to go to the fields that surrounded them, find soldiers who had been shot or otherwise injured, load them into the wheelbarrow, take them back to the church where they would load them onto a pew and they would take turns working on them and continuing to bring in more and more soldiers. They put the most critically injured soldiers at the front of the church near the altar to keep them sequestered. Very quickly, the church fills up. By uh, just a few hours after they had landed, some 80 soldiers are packing the church, getting their wounds attended to, and the night is anything but uneventful. At one point, a bomb falls through the roof of the church. Everybody freezes, it cracks the stone floor, but it doesn't go off, it's a dud. Just to be safe, they throw it outside anyway. At another point, a German soldier bursts through the door with his machine gun, but when he sees what they're doing, he crosses himself and leaves. At another point, when the area surrounding the church was under German control, uh, three German officers walk in, but when they see that the medics are tending to soldiers from both armies without regard, without discriminating between uniform, they promise to send a doctor as soon as they are able. Moore and Wright treat some 80 soldiers that night. They both receive the Silver Star for what they do. But very quickly, about 36 hours later, the fighting moves on to more strategic footholds that you've seen in Band of Brothers and things like that. What strikes me about this story is not simply how amazing it was on D-Day, but really what happened after the war there. Because when the people of Angleville, France were literally rebuilding their lives after the war, they were rebuilding their homes and their places of work. But then they came to the church and they fixed the hole in the roof from the dud bomb. They replaced all the stained glass because it had all been shot out. In fact, if you go there today, a couple of the stained glass windows are of paratroopers uh, reminding what happened on D-Day. What strikes me most about this church though is the pews. Because on D-Day, as they treated these soldiers, as you can imagine, the soldiers were bleeding, so blood got on multiple of the pews. But when the people of Angleville saw them, they did not do what I would do if I was in charge of reconstructing that church. Because nobody who comes to church wants to sit on a bloody pew. That's kind of disgusting. I would have said, take out those pews, put in new pews, or sand those down and stain them so they look What the people of Angoville did was something entirely different, and it still gives me chills to this day. They said, this church was constructed 900 years ago to be a place of hope and healing for those who are broken and hurting. And on D-Day, it lived out its mission. That's what happened here on D-Day. So we will preserve, they said, the bloodstained pews. We will keep the bloodstained pews as a reminder of what happened here on D-Day, that it did not matter what ethnicity you were, what age you were, it did not matter who you were shooting or who shot you, you are welcome here and you are gonna find hope and healing from those who could give it. And what I took away from that is I thought that's the best picture of church I've ever seen, that this church, any church, the capital C, Worldwide Church, should be a church, metaphorically, of bloodstained pews, that it does not matter, what has happened to you, but the broken and hurting and lost can come and find grace and truth to set you free and join the mission of fighting against evil to save souls through the power of Jesus. And that's not Carl's view of church, that's Jesus' view of church. Because let me remind you of some things that Jesus says. Jesus says things like, if you're tired and worn out, come to me. Jesus says, A bruised reed I won't break. Or if you're like a little child, come here. Or if your faith isn't even a candle that's lit, if it's like a smoldering wick of a candle, Jesus says, I won't put it out. Meaning if your faith is smoldering, if your life is smoldering, if, if your hope is tired and worn out, Jesus says, come to me if you're broken and bleeding and I will give you rest. But then you combine that with what he says about his church. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't overcome it. Yeah. For a long term, I misunderstood that because it sounds like the gates of hell won't overcome it. And when you look around at our world, it sure seems like the church, the Christian faith is under attack and the gates of hell won't overcome us. And we're going to squeak out a victory in the end through the power of Jesus. But if you remember, if you're currently in high school, if you remember high school history class, you remember that ancient cities were walled cities. And the way you entered and exited was through the gates. But if you were an opposing army, the way you would attack them was not the walls of the city because that was made of stone and it was thick. That was hard. What you would attack would be what? The gates. And so what Jesus is casting a vision of is not a church that's under attack from hell and going to squeak out a victory with a buzzer beating shot. He's envisioning for us a church that is attacking hell, that is storming the gates of hell and snatching people from the fires and flames of despair and hopelessness and bringing them into a community of bloodstained pews where they can find healing and hope and grace and truth and join this thing called the church. The problem is that's not most people's experience with church, because you've seen the data, you've heard the stories, maybe, maybe you have a friend yourself, maybe, maybe you yourself have used those words to describe church of things like judgmental, or hypocritical, or the worst one I hear in the stats is this, just irrelevant, it just doesn't matter. And for a lot of us even who love the church, we know some of those bad experiences. We know people who are hurt. So what can we expect? And most important, what does Jesus say church should be? What does Jesus say church should be? By the way, if we haven't met, my name is Carl, and I am one of three executive pastors on staff here at Southeast. It is Tim Hester, Steve Carter, and myself, who serve Kyle and our staff, as executive pastors to bring our vision to life here. Recently, Kyle asked me if I'd be willing to teach a three-week series on my own. I was very excited to do that and immediately knew what I was gonna teach on because the church, the, the capital C Worldwide Church, has impacted me a lot of ways, but the number one way, without question, is that through the church, God has given me community. In fact, the word church means community. It means coming together. But in this generation, we experience so much fake community. We experience so much filtered community. We experience so much isolation that I want to speak these three weeks to the longing in your soul to be connected, to the longing in your being to be known. It is not good for man to be alone. I want you in community. More importantly, God wants you in community, and we're going to take practical steps to experience that in this series. First though, there is a barrier to community that we have to address. At every location right now, I want you to reach into the seat pocket in front of you, every single person, and pull out the paper that is there with 10 questions on it. There will be a pen or pencil. If someone around you does not have one of those, pass it to them. Every person needs a paper. If someone doesn't take out a paper right now, give them the evil eye. Don't fill it out yet. To set this up, I wanna coach you a little bit. We're gonna do an exercise that is going to help us live out what Jesus talks about with his church. That paper has a survey with some personal questions on it. In just a moment, not yet, I'm gonna ask you to fill that out. Don't put your name on it. (laughs) Here's some other rules. Don't look at somebody else's paper. (laughs) I would expect that you got to kind of curl up. If you need to move a seat away from the person you rode to church with today, that's okay too. (laughs) Be honest. Be honest. And please participate. The more people who participate in this, the more powerful this service is going to be. When you are done, I want you to fold that in half. Our ushers will pass some bags down your row and you can drop it in there as soon as you're done. Go ahead right now, every person, fill out those 10 questions. is going to start passing those bags and keep filling it out if you're not done All right. Thank you so much for participating in that. Thank you ushers for doing a good job at all our locations all weekend. Even filling out that survey survey makes you feel a little lonely, doesn't it? Like I don't want anybody else to know this. In fact, it reminded me of this ad. I don't know if you heard of this, saw this several years ago that came out of Atlanta. There was this ad that said, "Single female seeks male companionship. I'm a very good-looking girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods." Long car rides, camping, cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinners will have me eating out of your hand. Rub me the right way and watch me respond. I'll be at the front door when you get home wearing only what nature gave me. Kiss me and I'm yours. Call this number and ask for Daisy. 15,000 men responded to this ad only to reach the Atlanta Humane Society where nine week old black lab (laughs) named Daisy lived. But I had you, you are getting uncomfortable, weren't you? (laughs) Hey, our scripture today is gonna focus on the calling of the apostle Matthew. And we're gonna jump into Mark chapter two. So look at Mark chapter two, verse 13. Jesus went out to the lake shore again, taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. A couple of things I wanna point out about our opening scripture here. First of all, I highlighted Levi because Levi and Matthew are the same person in scripture. Levi is his Hebrew name, Matthew is his Greek name, and at different places you'll read each name, but it's the same person, Okay. Underline tax collector's booth because we wanna make sure we don't miss what's going on here. If you've been in church a while, you know that tax collectors were looked down on in Jesus' day. I wanna remind us why. It's because tax collecting in the Roman Empire went to the highest bidder. The Roman government essentially said, hey, we're gonna do an auction. Whichever tax collector can say they'll give us the most money, you get the job. Then the tax collector got to keep everything on top of that that they collected. So if you play this out in your head, you can realize very quickly that a good tax collector, from his perspective, was the one who could catch people and cheat people the most out of their own money. So, so the Jewish people hated tax collectors for two reasons. One, they existed to take their money, and even on a spiritual level or political level, they viewed tax collectors as siding with the Roman Empire to keep the people of Israel oppressed as occupiers in land that they thought God had given to them. So tax collectors were on the Romans' side. In fact, this was such a deep hatred that the day someone became a tax collector, they were permanently expelled from the synagogue and not allowed to come to the Jewish place of worship. Verse 15 later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. They had a party. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now, the New Living Translation is paraphrasing here for us a little bit because the Greek it's written actually says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation paraphrases it partly because of what we just said about tax collectors so we understand not just the words that are spoken, but the meaning that is communicated. In fact, the word Pharisee means separate. So the Pharisees are asking the disciples, why doesn't Jesus, why isn't he separate from people like that? When Jesus heard this, meaning when Jesus overheard this, he told them, hey, that's my paraphrase, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now Jesus is Captain obvious here. If you work at an emergency room, you do not help someone who came in for a checkup. You help the person who has a broken leg from a car accident. Healthy people need a doctor. Jesus says, I came for sick people. Not too long ago, there was some scientific research that came out about the group on our planet that experiences the worst symptoms of being sick of anything we've ever discovered. The scientific name for them was husbands. And the article explained when a wife has the flu, she goes to work, makes dinner, takes care of the kids, runs errands, pretty much does everything she normally does. She just suffers through it and grins and bears it. Meanwhile, when a husband gets the flu, he does not go to work. He moans and groans. He can't work. He can't parent. He can't reach his water on the bedside table. He moans in agony. His wife runs into the bedroom thinking she needs to call 911 because her husband is dying only to find out he can't lift the straw and give himself a drink. (laughs) But Jesus said, I came for the husbands. No, I came for the sick people. But he goes on, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, those who know they're sinners. He's saying to the Pharisees, you think you're righteous, these people know they're not. So first lesson today, Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came for the broken. Look back at verse 15, when Levi has this party for Jesus, who does he have? Tax collectors, disreputable sinners, I like this phrase. Many people of this kind. Jesus came for the broken. Whenever I hear a word broken or broke, it reminds me of this old viral clip. Jaden has one dollar bill, one quarter, and two pennies. How how much money money does he have? Jaden broke... Jesus came for Jaden, is what we're saying. (laughs) Jesus came, Jesus came for the broken. One time I read an article called The Atrocious Mathematics of the Gospel. In it, the author attempted to use examples from the Gospels to point out that when you study Jesus, when you study grace, it's atrocious math. It just doesn't add up. And the author reminded us of the famous story when Jesus said, if you want to know what God's like, God's like a shepherd. And he had 99 sheep over here that were fine, but one had run off and he left these where they could be eaten by wolves or stolen or wander off because he needed the one. And in, in the Gospel of John, one time a woman anoints Jesus with, with perfume, which doesn't sound that crazy until you read that the perfume was worth a year's salary just pours it out, gone. And Jesus said, she did a good thing. Another time, Jesus says, if you wanna know what God and grace is like, it's, it's kinda like a business owner. And he did some day labors and, and he went out to the market and found some guys, hired them at 6 a.m. to work the whole day. He went out and hired some, hired some other guys who came in just right before closing bell. But when they all lined up to get paid, they all got the same amount of money because he wanted to make sure they were all taken care of. And it doesn't add up, because grace doesn't add up. One author put it this way, grace doesn't make demands, it just gives. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. It is one-way love. Jesus came to liberate us from the weight of having to make it on our own, from the demand to measure up. He came to emancipate us from the burden to get it all right, from the obligation to fix ourselves, find ourselves, and free ourselves. Jesus came to release us from the slavish need to be right, rewarded, regarded, and respected. Because Jesus came to set the captives free, life does not have to be a tireless effort to establish ourselves, justify ourselves, and validate ourselves. Grace is recklessly generous, uncomfortably promiscuous. It doesn't use sticks, carrots, or time cards. It doesn't keep score. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. It's why Tim Keller said, you are more sinful Than you dared imagine, but more loved than you dared dream. Which means grace is not clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. Grace is not you've been good enough and Jesus will fix your blind spots. Grace means it's paid in full. Grace means there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. And the reason it's true is because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and rose again. The tomb was empty. He was seen. So our hope is real. Therefore, anyone can come to Jesus. No matter how disreputable you are and you can get grace Jesus came for the broken now that's fun to clap at but here's lesson number two we're all broken (laughs) move back at verse 17 when Jesus heard this he told them healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do I've come to call, not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Ushers at every location, I wanna invite you right now to come back down. They're gonna pass those bags back down every row. I encourage you to take out, if you filled one out, take out one of those papers. It will not be the one you filled out. It will be somebody else's anonymous survey. I want you to hold on to that. You're gonna get a chance to look at it in a minute. Just pass those quickly so we can make sure everybody at every location gets one. As you're passing that, that look back at this verse. Look at it. This is a point Jesus often makes in his teachings. It, he says, it's not about how righteous you can be. It's about recognizing what a sinner you are. So catch this, please, please hear this. Jesus' message to the Pharisees is not, you're not welcome. His message to the Pharisees is, recognize who you are and come on in, guys. Because anyone who comes to Jesus gets grace. Anyone who comes to him gets endless second chances and everyone is welcome. One of our church plants actually has this as their slogan. It's on online printed materials. It's on their building. It simply says, hope for everyone. I love that. Because it means regardless of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, the door is always open. There is always room at the foot of the cross. And it's not just for some random people out there. It's for us in here. We're all broken. I used to think the biggest lie Satan tried to tell us was you're not broken. But the longer I do this, meaning the longer I'm in any kind of church leadership, I just think we know, you know, you're broken. The more I do this, I'm convinced the biggest lie Satan tries to tell us is this, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's broken. I'm the only one who thinks like that. I'm the only one who's addicted to that. I'm the only one who's involved with church but is tempted by this. I'm the only one who doesn't have what it takes. I'm the only one who's a failure as a dad. I'm the only one who thinks meds are my only option. I'm the only one who drinks to forget. I'm the only one, whatever. And if you're the only one, you hide, you pretend, you fake, you wear a mask, but we are all broken. Jesus' message to the Pharisees is you don't have to be separate because you're all the same. We're all broken. Take out the survey you have. I'm gonna read through these questions one at a time. As I do, I will cue you, but if your person checked yes, I'm gonna have you stand up where you are, and then I'll tell you when you can sit down. We're gonna go through these one at a time, okay? Question one Do you struggle with depression, fear, or anxiety? If your paper says yes, stand up. Okay. Look around. You can have a seat. Have you ever thought about or attempted suicide? If your paper says yes, stand. Sit down. Have you had a sexual relationship with someone you weren't married to? If your paper says yes, stand. have a seat. Have you been physically abused or physically abusive? Stand up. Yeah. You be seated. You ever been addicted to something? Stand up. You seated. Do you currently take medication for mental or psychological struggles? Stand. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Are you ashamed of your sex life? Stand up. Yeah. Look around, folks. Look around, sit down. Are you lonely? If your paper says yes, stand up. Mm -hmm. Be seated. Have you ever struggled to believe God loves you, he likes you, and he wants what's best for you. If so, stand. Have a seat. Do you have any secrets? If your paper says yes, stand up. This is our church. Be seated. Some of you owe me a thank you note because that's the best workout you're gonna get all month. (laughs) But listen to me, listen to me, church. You think you're alone, you're not. You wonder if God wants you, he does. You think church is for perfect people. It isn't. You doubt grace is for you. It is. You wonder where you can fit in right here. (laughs) Satan wants you to think. Satan wants you to think I'm the only one but you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. You've been shot like those guys on D-Day and some of it was your fault. Some of it wasn't, but you're bleeding. And Jesus says, hey, healthy people don't need me. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, Jesus says, I came for those who know they're bleeding. Somebody said to me once, Carl, I don't like in your preaching over the years how you always talk about how we're so broken. Doesn't Jesus fix us? Well, (laughs) yes and no. Yes and no. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He rose from the grave to prove he's God and to foreshadow what will one day happen to those of us who trust him. So, am I forgiven? Yes. Am I pure? Yes. When I stand before the Father, is all he sees in me the righteousness of his son Jesus? Absolutely, because I've accepted Jesus. At the same time, the good I do and what I do, the good I want to do and what I do that evil that I don't want to do. That's what I keep on doing. And so until Jesus returns or until I am raised from the dead with a glorified body, whichever comes first, I am still broken. But it's why I love Psalm 51. that says the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit and you won't reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. So admit you're broken because Jesus did not come to call those who think they're righteous. He came to call those who know they are sinners, who know they've missed the mark, who know they need Jesus. We're gonna move into a time of communion and worship in a moment. My question is, during that communion and worship, will you repent? The Christian repents every day, saying, Lord, without you, I'm nothing but if I can be both so bold as to ask those of you who do not follow Jesus, when will you let your brokenness overcome your arrogance? When will you humble yourself to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? When will you humble yourself And say, I've got these secrets and I'm lonely and I've got pain. Jesus, my way isn't working. And choose faith. Repent, be baptized, and find a home in this place called the church. Jesus came for you. Before we wrap up, I need to tell you that I know after an experience like this, a lot of us are thinking, well, what about this? And what are we going to do with that? We should say something about, we're going to get there in the series. You have to come back. (laughs) You have to come back the next two weeks because this is just part one and we can't leave it here. We've got to do something with this. If you want to prepare for next week, you can read the first story in John chapter 5 to get ready, first story in John chapter five to prepare for next week. I encourage you to take that paper home from a person you don't know and put it either on your mirror or in your paper Bible somewhere you'll see it every day this week so you can pray for that person every day this week that they will find community uh, through Jesus in his church. Not too long ago, I was doing my daily Bible reading and I came across what was to me a new name of God. And for those of you that that sounds confusing, what I mean is simply throughout the scriptures, occasionally you'll see a person or group of people that encounter God in a unique way and then refer to him by a nickname to remind them of how God acted in their life. So at one point, God provides in a unique way. They say, we're going to call you Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. In fact, when the angel tells Joseph that the birth of Jesus is coming, the angel says, you know, his name will be Jesus, but they're actually going to give him a nickname. It's going to be Emmanuel, which means God's with us. That's just going to be what they call him, even though his name's Jesus. So I was reading in the book of Isaiah... Honestly, it was a little dry. I was getting a little confused and I stumbled across something I'd never noticed before in chapter 56. And if I could read Hebrew, if you could read Hebrew, it would look like this. And you would pronounce it like this, Adonai Yehovah Kalvats Nadach. And when you translate it to English, it reads like this, the Lord God who brings back the outcasts. The God who brings back the outcasts. And I don't know about you, but when I am in God's church, that's who I'm reminded I worship. Because I go to the addiction recovery center and I worship shoulder to shoulder with my brothers at Ark, And I'm reminded I worship the Lord God who brings back the outcast. And I look at multiple campuses of the long list of encounter groups we offer. And I just feel the pain represented by every one of those groups. And I know, Lord God, who brings back the outcasts. Sometimes it's in a baptism. Sometimes you'll see, you've seen it, a baptism where the person's grinning ear to ear, like they're just giggling, filled with joy. And sometimes, not always, you'll see somebody else who has tears just Messing up all their makeup. And I'm reminded the Lord God who brings back the outcast. It's when I visit elementary camp and they say, Hey, 33 baptisms, just this camp alone. Lord God who brings back the outcast. It's when we sing, All my life you've been faithful. Lord God who brings back the outcast. It's when you stand up with courage to say, I'm lonely the Lord God who brings back the outcast. It's when I mess up again. And when I manipulate my wife or blow off my kids, when I fall that same thing again and that voice says, Carl, just give up. You can't do it. And the Holy Spirit gives me a little nudge and says, no, no, no. You don't have to give up. Because you worship Adonai, Yehovah, Calvats, Nadach. The Lord God who brings back the outcast, The Lord God who brings back me. And Jesus says, you are not too far gone. You are not too broken. You are not too bleeding. You are not too evil. You are not too lazy. You are not too anything to be covered by his grace. Just come on in. He says, I gotcha. And he gives you grace. He gives you a better way to do life right now. He gives you the hope of heaven in the future. And he gives you a community of people just like you called the church. And that's why we're here. So no matter what you're going through or how many boxes you check, be reminded today, we worship the Lord God who brings back people like us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are, we're jaden, we're broke, we're broken by sin. And we mask and we hide and we pretend, but God, you know, and we know So God, we thank you for grace. We thank you for your undeserved, unrelenting, amazing grace that gets us through another day. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for giving us this crazy thing called the church. And in this series, I pray that we will find true community in it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.